The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the two sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He said to them, children, have you any fish? And they said, no. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. And so they cast the net and now they were unable to haul the net in because of the great number of fish. Now the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Simon Peter, it's the Lord. And when he said it is the Lord, Simon Peter wrapped his outer garment around him for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they got out onto the land, they found a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed aboard and he hauled the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come, have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to say, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus took the bread and gave it to his disciples. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples after being raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired John in the writing of these words. We believe they had power in the day they were written, and we believe they have power today if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word to us, perhaps as never before, that we would behold and encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would be changed to be more like him. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? This is the question I think that this text lays before us. Am I letting Jesus speak into my life, have direction in my life, have an opinion about my life, and I'm actually listening, I'm actually paying attention, I'm in fact inviting in his voice. Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? You see, in today's text, Jesus does just that. He speaks into the life of his disciples. He gives them a little fishing correction. The seams are not fishing right. And so he comes along and gives them a correction. And as a result, there's an incredible miracle that takes place. Jesus speaks into their fishing. They obey, and a miracle takes place. In verse 5, we read, 
Uh, Jesus standing on the shore, the disciples don't know it's him. He says, children, have you any fish? I can't imagine any fisherman likes to have that question asked of them, right? And, it, and, and their response, you can hear the frustration in that singular, no. But he goes on. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, the starboard side, the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And what results is a miracle. Not only did they find some, but verse 11 says that there's 153 fish in that net. Now, there's been many people that have uh, argued about what does this number 153 fish mean? And I, I, I tell you, it's, it's amazing what people have come up with. Uh, I'm all for allegorical readings at times, but some of these are just a bit strange. Um, St. Augustine, who I really like, uh, tries to argue that, uh, that what's really in the net is the law and the gospel. And he says if you give the law the number 10 and the gospel the number 7 and you get 17, then if you create a pyramid of, of, uh, of dots, 1, then 2, then 3, then 4, and go 17 powers down, you end up with 153. Therefore, he says, it's a great triangle of faith. And I think, okay, Augustine, I love your theology. Not so sure about your math skills. Um, the second interpretation that some have given is that uh, there is an ancient text that talks about in Greco-Roman literature that there were 153 different types of fish in the sea. And so really what this is saying is Jesus' net is big enough to catch all the type of fish. I don't know what type of fish you are, but you're able to be caught in that net. And again, maybe, maybe not. I think the third interpretation makes most sense to me that there were 153 fish in the net. Sometimes fish are just fish. And I mean, if you're honestly fishermen, are you, you don't think they're going to take time to count this out? I mean, I think somebody sat down and said, we got to count these because this is the greatest fishing story ever. We were out fishing with Jesus one day and we caught a net this big. Take the time to count it. The key is, the miracle. And the miracle is showing us that when we listen to the voice of Jesus, when we allow Jesus to speak into our lives, that we will find power, we will find strength, uh, we'll find miracles taking place in our lives if we're listening. Um, I mean, I, you've seen that bumper sticker, right? That Jesus is my co-pilot bumper sticker? Yeah, I've always worried about that bumper sticker. You know, and I'm relating to this, the idea of Jesus speaking in my life. Well, I mean, what the text is telling me here then is if Jesus is my co-pilot, I'm in the wrong seat. Right? Jesus is, is the one leading. Jesus is the one directing. Jesus is the pilot. I'm at best the co-pilot. I mean, there's lots of bumper stickers. This week I was uh, excited uh, to keep adding to the bumper stickers on my vehicle. I'm, I'm trying to be a true Texan. I got myself a truck. Although I'm told I don't have a truck, but it's a truck chassis. Um, it's kind of an SUV thing, but I got, I got a truck, so I feel like a Texan. I'm higher up on the road. And then I said, hey, I'm going to be a Texan. I'm going to start putting bumper stickers on my truck. And so you can easily find my truck in the parking lot because I've got a Canadian flag on it and an American flag and a Christchurch Plano flag. And then I've got Narnia written on the back as well. So, you know, you can see my, my confused citizenship there. Um, but we see all kinds of these bumper stickers, don't we? I mean, I, I love some of these. You know, the, the Jesus loves you, but I'm still trying. I mean, that's, that's, 
you know, I guess that works. Um, this one makes no sense to me. I've seen it a lot, especially closer to Houston. Too blessed to be depressed. What does that even mean? I mean, that's really helpful to someone who's suffering, isn't it? They just drive around. Or my favorite, though, of course, is honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to meet him. It's very important. I've seen people miss entire green lights here in Plano. You've seen this too, haven't you? Some of you have been the one missing those green lights. Uh, the point is the miracle in this story, this idea of Jesus speaking to our life. This, this Jesus, my co-pilot, was my whole reason for all that. But that, that this Jesus speaking to my life reality is that it's, it's meant to give us the strength to live. That we need Jesus' voice in our lives. And isn't it amazing how often we don't listen isn't it amazing how often I think I'm, I'm kind of okay? Like, Jesus is my Savior, he's my Lord, and then I'm just going to get on living my life? You know, and tell me you, I'm not the only one in the room that can get in that place, right? We, we get very self-dependent, don't we? I love how Dallas Willard, you know, says this about the life of Jesus. He says, Jesus is not just nice, he's brilliant. He is the smartest man who ever lived, he always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. Do we believe that about Jesus? Because if we do, we will take time to make sure we're listening and allowing him to speak into our lives. The miracle that follows them letting Jesus speak into their life here is, is evidence of, of the power of God if Jesus is, if we're letting his voice be heard. Um, it's even more of a miracle than we realize, though. You know, we think, wow, a miracle, 153 fish, that's an awesome miracle. Well, it's more than just that. It's not just that Jesus is doing some kind of magic trick here, saying, throw it on the starboard side and you'll catch a lot. There's even more to this because we read in verse 3, there's a fundamental problem with this fishing story. Verse 3 says they were fishing at night. They were fishing at night. They caught nothing that night. And every Galilean fisherman in the first century knows that there are two types of nets you use when you're fishing. There are night nets called trammel nets, and there are daytime nets. Why? Well, Trammel nets could be these very thick, bulky nets that you would sort of drag through the water at night. They could be as big and bulky as you wanted because the fish couldn't see them. It's pitch black. But daytime nets needed to be much thinner, and they often broke. And that's why Galilean fishermen liked fishing at night if they could, because they would less often break their nets. The daytime nets would often break. That's why when Jesus meets James and John, they're in the boat with their father Zebedee mending their nets because they were always breaking. These trammel nets, these night nets, are what the disciples have been using. It's daytime, verse 4 says. Day has broken, which means they're making their way back to the shore. There's only room for one set of tackle in a Galilean fishing boat. And so they're on their way back to the shore. Their trammel nets are back in the boat. It's daytime. They can't use their night nets. Jesus, this stranger, is on the shore saying, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And they're thinking, this guy is not a fisherman. We're night fishermen coming back in. He doesn't even realize we have two types of nets. We can't throw these nets in the water. The fish will see them immediately. Do you see the point? 
that when they throw these trammel nets overboard, these night fishing nets, these big bulky nets, it's not a miracle that they caught 153 fish. It's a miracle that they caught anything. Jesus is elevating the level of his miracle here. They shouldn't have caught anything with that net, let alone a boatload of fish. And the point here is that without Jesus, without his voice in our lives, it's not that we can do a little bit. We can do nothing. Isn't it interesting that at the end of verse 3, it says they fished all night and they caught nothing. And that same word nothing and the placement in the phrase is exactly the same as a few chapters earlier in John 15, verse 5, when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. I mean, he's trying to emphasize this as a miracle, saying you desperately need my voice in your life. You need me to teach you how to fish. You need me to teach you how to live. Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? As one commentator, Dale Bruner, says, and I, I love this phrase, he says, are we alert to Jesus' starboard suggestions in our lives? Are you and I alert to Jesus' starboard suggestions in our lives? Where that voice of Jesus comes along and says, try it this way. Try it my way. How are you doing living it on your own? Why don't you try it my way now? But how can Jesus speak into our lives? I mean, when I look at this text, I think, great, you know, isn't it nice to be a disciple uh, there that morning on the Sea of Tiberias? By the way, Sea of Tiberias is Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's also the Lake of Gennesaret. I do not know why it's got three names, but it's one body of water. That stone right there, which we used for baptism a couple weeks ago, this is from the same body of water which we're talking about today, the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. I mean, isn't it... Would, and look at this, and I'm jealous of these disciples. Like, yeah, sure, you've got Jesus physically right there speaking to you. Must be nice, right? Jesus, I mean, they didn't recognize him immediately on the shore, but eventually they did. And they could audibly hear his voice. They could see him. They could eat a meal with him face to face. And yet, here's the amazing news. Is that the way that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples in this text, though he's doing it physically there, is exactly the same way that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples today. The same means by which Jesus reveals himself to these disciples here at the Sea of Tiberias is the same way that he reveals himself to disciples today. Look with me at verse 1. This passage is all about Jesus revealing himself to his disciples. Verse 1 of our text says, Jesus again revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and then just to hit the point home again, he revealed himself in this way, revealed twice in the same sentence. And then at the end of our text in verse 14, he says, this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. I mean, this whole text is about Jesus revealing himself, Jesus showing himself, Jesus making himself available, the disciples having an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And as I said, the way that he reveals himself to these disciples at Tiberias is the same way he reveals himself to us disciples, we disciples today. See, Jesus reveals himself to them in his words 
and in his meal, in his words and in his meal. And so he reveals himself to us today in his words and in his meal. Here's what I mean. Verse 7 of our text, John, the beloved disciples, in the boat, Jesus has been speaking. He said two things so far. Verse 5, he says, children, do you have any fish? And then in verse 6, he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And in that fishing moment, the miracle takes place. And what does John do right away? John says, verse 7, it's the Lord. He recognizes Jesus in that moment, right? It's the Lord. See, he recognizes Jesus in response to Jesus' voice. They don't yet recognize it's Jesus up to that point, but through his word, they do recognize him. Jesus is revealed to him. He then says two more things. He says, bring some of the fish that you just caught in verse 10. And then verse 12, he says, come have breakfast. I mean, what Jesus is doing here and what John is emphasizing for us is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and that's the first and primary way that they encounter him. They, he, he is revealed to them in his words. I mean, look at that. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. At the center of this text is Jesus speaking, and they recognize him in his words. We have Jesus' words. We have them recorded in Scripture. And you may say, yeah, but that's so different. Is it? Is it? You see, we have got his words written in Scripture for us. He continues to speak to his disciples today through these recorded testimonies, these recorded eyewitness accounts. We hear Jesus speaking to his disciples. But just to be clear, it's not just Jesus' own words quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because of course, John, the same gospel we're reading right now, begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died for you and me, is identified as the word of God. He's the word of God, which means that everything in scripture from Genesis through to maps is all the maps. I keep saying that. No one ever laughs at that joke. Maybe it worked in Canada, not here. But the point, Genesis to Revelation is what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting the maps are inspired. But everything in scripture, in fact, has been uttered from the mouth of the son of God. It is all God's word. And that's why 2 Timothy 3.16, those famous words that you had to memorize when you were in Sunday school, you know, all scripture is God-breathed, which literally means it comes from the mouth of God. It's spoken by God. So Jesus' own word is everything within scripture. And that's one of the reasons I love preaching on the Old Testament is to see again and again how Jesus is fundamentally at the center of every single text of scripture. Jesus is revealing himself in his words to his disciples today. What does Jesus say in Matthew 24? He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I mean, Jesus has given us his word and he continues to be revealed in his word. I like how Martin Luther described the Bible. He described the Bible as 
the manger that holds the Christ child. He said, you know, we find here within these pages the Christ child. We do not worship the wood and the straw, but we worship the one we find within the Scriptures because Jesus is revealed in His Word. It was fun yesterday. We were in the car with uh, my, my three youngest, and uh, my Bible, my preaching Bible was in the car, and I, I, I hand it to one of the girls in the back. I said, can you hold this? Because it was sliding all around. And, and I hear this little voice of my eight-year-old say, ew, ew, daddy, ew. I said, oh, what happened? You know, what happened? Eight-year-olds, you know, get disgusted by everything. She said, your Bible is made of goat skin leather. And I said, well, yeah. And she said, why isn't it hairy? And I, they must have picked all the hair off. I mean, she's going on and on. I think, oh, here we go. But then she says, I love this. She says, but that kind of makes sense. She's got her little monologue. She said, that kind of makes sense because goats had to die so that we could go to temple and worship. So your Bible's made out of a dead goat. That makes sense. I thought, you know, the theology's not far off. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The children's ministry is doing a great job here. The point being, though, that we find in the Scriptures Jesus being revealed. Jesus being revealed. And he reveals himself and he teaches us how to live. One of my favorite shows I've mentioned before right now is The Crown. I love it. I mean, I love watching all the royalty, and I'm, you know, I'm Canadian, so you know, the Queen is the Queen of Canada as well. But you know, there's this wonderful moment in the Crown where there's a coronation. I'm not, I'm not giving anything away. Obviously, we all know that you know queens get coronated, but um, but there's this great prayer. Do you know the Archbishop of Canterbury <clears throat> when the coronation happens? The Archbishop of Canterbury speaks these words, these literal words, over the new sovereign as they hand the sovereign a Bible. Here's what the Archbishop of Canterbury says. It's sort of like the high, one of the highest points of the service. The Archbishop says, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as you rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present to you this book, the most valuable thing that the world affords. Here is wisdom. This is royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. I mean, this is a description of the way we are meant to receive the Scriptures. That in the Scriptures, we find Jesus revealed to us. But also Jesus reveals himself in his meal. Not only in his word, but in his meal. In verses 12 and 13 we read that Jesus says to them, come have breakfast. And then they say, so he says, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Again, for they knew it was the Lord. Remember John recognized Jesus in the words of Jesus. And now the disciples recognize Jesus in this meal. He takes the bread and he gives it to them. He takes the, the fish and does the same. And if it sounds like the Last Supper, it's meant to sound like the Last Supper. Jesus is recalling for them this meal that he gave his disciples. And as we eat with Jesus, he's revealed to us as well. He reveals himself there. And in that context, he can speak to us. We believe that Jesus today for his disciples is revealed in his meal. 
We encounter Jesus as we're invited to his meal. And I know there's been great debates over the years and even, you know, lively today, depending on which blogs you read, about, you know, how present Jesus is in the meal, right? Is Jesus present? Is Jesus not present? And Christians love to divide on that issue. But let me just say this about that. You know, in the 16th century, when the big Protestant Reformation was going on, all the big guns, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Thomas Cranmer, Booser, the rest, all these guys were the big guns of the Reformation. They were not arguing in the, in the 16th century Reformation about whether Jesus was present in the Eucharist. They were arguing about how he was present in the Eucharist. They weren't saying, is Jesus present? They were saying, how is he present? That was the nature of the debate. But we've confused those arguments 500 years later to begin saying, oh, some of us believe he is here and he isn't here. No, the Reformation said Jesus is present. The question was simply, how is he present? I like to always say the Anglican standard, if you want Anglican sacramental theology, we've got a wide umbrella. Like we really open, the, open it wide. We, do, we don't get so, so narrow that it excludes. I mean, we've got boundaries, right? We're living within the ancient church formularies. But we'll say this. If you can say this phrase, you have an Anglican sacramental theology. Can you say these words? That Jesus is present in a special way in the Eucharist. Don't go any further. Don't try and explain how. Don't go there. But just be able to affirm Jesus is present in a special way in the Eucharist. If you can say that, then you have an Anglican sacramental theology. Right? You see why we're attractive to so many. Right? Because we're saying that Jesus is present. We're just not going to define exactly how. But what's amazing, when we meet Jesus in the Eucharist, is we're finding afresh this call to be mindful of our forgiveness, of grace, of what Jesus has done for us. I mean, the word that Jesus speaks over us at the meal is the gospel. Do you remember how much you've been rescued from? Do you remember how far you fell and how great his salvation has been? I mean, as we come and we encounter Jesus in the meal, we're confronted with the gospel again. Verse nine, I'll be talking more about this next week, but in verse nine, it says that they find a charcoal fire when they land on the beach. And you know what's great is that word, that phrase charcoal fire is the exact same word and phrase that was used back in chapter 18, verse 18, when Peter is standing warming himself before a charcoal fire while he's denying Jesus, while he's watching Jesus tried. Don't think that that charcoal fire did not remind Peter of how far he'd fallen. And yet Jesus invites even these fallen ones to a meal. Come eat with me. Come have breakfast. We encounter the risen Jesus. I don't know, I can't tell you how many times I've come up to the rail. I mean, we're so busy as clergy on Sunday mornings trying to, you know, watch the clock and organize all these kind of things. But in the moment of coming and kneeling quietly at the rail, I can't tell you the number of times that the Lord has met me in that moment and absolutely convicted me and said, you know, Paul, let's talk about, let's talk about your discipleship. Do you, do you recognize the grace given you? How does that affect you as a husband? How does it affect you as a, as a parent? How does that affect you as a person who leads others? You know, those moments where Jesus meets us in that moment and he speaks there because we're encountering him in the meal. We desperately need to let Jesus speak into our lives. We desperately need 
to let Jesus speak into our lives. He reveals himself to his disciples here in his words and in his meal, and he reveals himself today, church, to us in his words and his meal. Do we have ears to hear? Are we reading? Are we coming to the table? Are we coming with a desire to encounter the risen Lord Jesus? Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? Because here's the promise. When I do, when I do allow Jesus to speak into my life, both in his word and in his meal, I will see a miracle. It may not be 153 fish. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out brilliantly and beautifully in my life, but it means I might become a little more human. I might become a little more Christian. I might become a little more loving. I might become a little more like Jesus. Am I letting Jesus speak into my life? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.